Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It's a, it's a real pleasure and a privilege today to, to get to share. Uh, today, in fact, we're going to be rounding out our series for the last five weeks, 10 points to anyone who can tell me what book have we been preaching from. Jonah, well done. Uh, and if you're, if you're sharp, if you're keeping track, you might know that the book of Jonah only has four chapters. You're like, Jonah, what are you going to preach on today? You've done every chapter, right? You're going to revisit a point that you didn't feel uh, landed. Not, not quite. Uh, today I want to wrap up. We're going to conclude uh, our series on, on the book of Jonah, on the idea of loving uh, the city that we're in, of loving Christchurch, of loving Ototahi. Uh, and, and we've been looking... Uh, if you've been with us at, at this book of Jonah, from the perspective of what does it look like to love a city? What does it look like to, to love a city? What does it look like for the city to celebrate that we're here? Does it actually matter to anyone outside of this room that we exist? Because we believe that, that we are called to, to make a difference, not just to be a little group of people who kind of cloister ourselves off and, and, and wait for the end of the world, but that actually God has something for us to do, that we get to be a part of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And we've been speaking on the idea, man, if we're loving our city, what is, what is love? What does it look like to love? And really exploring that idea that love is just tender emotions until it costs you something. And, and so I was thinking about the series and where we've been at. And yesterday I had the privilege of, of taking the wedding of Caleb uh, and Ashley, who are now Caleb and Ashley Bramwell, which was an amazing uh, occasion. Uh, and at the wedding, one of the, the passages that, that I referenced in my, my little sermonette uh, was, was 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Which if you've been to, to kind of, you know, more than two weddings, you're like, yeah, of course you did, right? Everyone, weddings come around and then everyone breaks out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we go through, love is patient, love is kind, da 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 but, but it was interesting because as I was prepping the, the, the message and even as I was sharing it, I, I was reminded that, man, this is a, a passage that maybe we're familiar with. Maybe we've looked at before, maybe we've heard it a, a number of times, and especially in those wedding kind of settings, but it's a powerful depiction of love. And so today as we conclude this series on loving our city, what I'd, what I'd love to do uh, is to share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 to 7 from the message translation. I'd love us to hold this in our mind as I discuss Jonah uh, and then someone else. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 to seven. It says this, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these moments as we gather together as, as, as your family, as your people. 
God, as we conclude this series of looking at loving our city on the, on the brink of Heart Week, as we put that love into action, I pray that this wouldn't just be ideas or words, but, but that something would land in us. God, I pray that, that as we are here today, listening to what it is that you want to say to us, that it wouldn't be my words, but that you would meet with us, that your spirit would be here, that we would be filled with your love that we wouldn't be able to help but leave here leaking love, being so, so reminded of how much you love us that it would compel us to, to being loving people, to responding in the way of love to the world around us. I pray that you are here, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as Izzy uh, so, so well mentioned, we're on the brink of, of Heart Week, right? And, and Heart Week is, is a week in which we do good for nothing, in which, a week in which we intentionally love our city. And I want to be clear, it's not the only week that we love our city. We're not like, oh, we'll, we'll only be nice to everyone one week a year. One week a year, you get like a, a, a niceness from the church. The rest of the time, we're going to be mean, right? It's, it's not that. But the intent is that we would intentionally love our city for one week, that we would form some, some practices and some habits in ourselves that we would continue for the rest of the year. You know, to use as an example, that, that freezer drive, we love filling up the church freezer to, to bless people who've had babies or bereavements or just going through a hard time. Anything in life in which having a meal delivered to you is just going to make things a little bit easier. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, that doesn't just happen in the, the month of November. I hope you all realize it's not babies. Babies are not all scheduled for November. Bereavements are not all scheduled for, for November. It's an ongoing thing. And so I love the idea that, that there would be people who, who contribute something to that freezer drive. Then go, oh, actually, you know, maybe every six weeks, maybe every eight weeks, maybe whatever it is, I can make a meal and I can bring it in that reusable crockery because we're loving our planet uh, into church and we can put it in the freezer and it can bless someone in church who's going through a a hard time, that we could establish some practices, some things that we do that bless our city in which we continue uh, to bless those around us. And I want to remind you that if you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late, right? It's not about doing something big. We believe it's just about doing something and allowing God to move in that. Which brings me to, to this, this series on, on Jonah, right? To conclude this, this idea of, of who is Jonah and what does he teach us. And actually, today I want to talk about Jonah by talking about another prophet which is a bit convoluted. You might say, Johnny, you should probably call it something other than Jonah then, because that's heavily misleading, and I will be complaining to the Advertising Standards Authority. Uh, but but go, with me, go with me on it. Uh, today I want to talk from the perspective of, I started this series with a sermon called To Love a City. And so today is simply To Love a City 2.0, right? To revisit this idea. But before I introduce this other prophet, I want to I look at him in comparison to Jonah. So I want to, for the last time, and it's a tender moment for you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss talking through the book of Jonah every Sunday. I want to recap uh, the, the book of Jonah one last time. Is that all right? It's yeah. good. It's good. All right. This is, this is the last chance. So lean in. Enjoy this moment. Right. So, so these are the sermons that we've been going through. These are the last uh, four sermons up on the screen. And it starts like this. Jonah is a prophet. He's a, he's a man of God. And he's serving King Jeroboam II, who's a bad king. And God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Now we remember that Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, who is the main enemy of Israel. So Jonah says, no, thank you. I don't like them. And, and if they repent, you'll forgive them. I'm not okay that you love that city, so I'm not going to go. I'm going to head in the opposite direction on this boat. And so he runs into a storm, and in the storm, the boat that he's on begins to sink, and the sailors come, and they confront Jonah, and they say, we know that the storm is something to do with you. The captain says to Jonah, Jonah, why are you asleep? Why are you not helping? 
And he says, I'm, I'm running from God. Throw me overboard. They say, no, that, that would be horrible. We're not going to do that. Like, who do you think we are? But he says, the storm's going to get worse. And so sure enough, it does. And, and so he says, you need to throw me overboard. So they do what he says. And they say, God, please forgive us. Don't be angry with us. But the storm stops. And the sailors are amazed. And they turn and they worship God. And so there Jonah is. He's overboard. And a whale comes along and, and swallows him. And, and Jonah sits in the, the belly of this whale for three days and for three nights. And while he's there, he apologizes to God. He realizes that his faith has been in other things, things that do not float. And he turns to God and he puts his faith in the only thing that can sustain us. He, he lets go of his idols and he embraces grace. And so the whale spits him back up and God says, all right, let's try this again. Your mistakes do not define you. Let's go again. Jonah, you still have a purpose. Will you go to Nineveh? And Jonah says, oh, okay, it's probably the right response in that sort of circumstance. And Jonah gets to Nineveh. It's a massive city that would take three days to walk across. He walks in one day and he preaches the worst sermon ever. It's five words in the Hebrew. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And the sermon gets to the king of Nineveh. He hears this and he commands that all of Nineveh pray to God for forgiveness, that they dress in sackcloth, that they repent from their evil ways, that maybe God will change his mind. And, and God does. He doesn't destroy the city. And, and this repentance makes Jonah mad. So mad that he prays, God, it would be better that I die. And he walks outside the city, hoping that God would change his mind back, that he would destroy the city that he hates. And it's hot outside the city. And God makes a, a tree grow to shade Jonah. And Jonah's happy. He's like, this tree is this tree's all right. Life's looking up. I'm in the shade. This is all right. But then overnight, God sends a worm that makes the tree die, and he sends a hot wind. And again, Jonah is so sad, so mad that, that he prays to die. And the book finishes with God asking Jonah a question, how can you care for a tree and be mad that I care for people? And before Jonah answers that question, the book finishes, it fades to black. Because the intent of the question isn't just for Jonah, it's for us. Are we all right with the fact that God loves those that we find hard to love? Are we all right with the fact that God is a God of love for all? Not just those that we find easy to love, not just those that are similar to us, but everyone. That grace is freely given to any who would receive it. That no one is so good that they do not need God's grace and no one is so bad that they cannot find God's grace. That the moral of the, the story of Jonah is that even a prophet, a religious professional can miss the grace of God can hold on to idols and reject grace, but that God in His abundance and His mercy and His love will use the smallest act, even one that seems insignificant, to bring transformation. That He is so loving towards us that our mistakes never count us out. See, the book of Jonah is a mirror to us, to our tendency to only love those close to us and to remind us that God calls us to more. Which I don't know about you, but one of the things that has become quite apparent to me in writing sermons on this for the last five weeks is that it's hard. It's, it's hard to love those who are not close to us. It's easy to count the cost. If love is just tender emotions until it costs us something, it's easy to count the cost for those that matter to us. For, for those that don't matter to us, it's harder though, right? It's interesting. Yuval Harari, who's the author of, of Sapiens and a, a prominent um, atheist thinker, he's probably kind of the prominent atheist thinker of, of this moment in culture. He has a saying. He says, human rights are a Christian myth. What he's saying is, is if you don't believe that people are made in the image of God, if you don't believe that everyone is inherently valuable because of who made them and the disposition that God has towards them, if you just think that we are all sacks of, of meat walking around biological functions that we're here until we're not, and we got here simply because we survived the best because we were the meanest, then looking after other people does not make sense. 
It's a myth introduced by, by Christianity, which says that people, malle- uh, that people matter, that they're of value to God. And so if you don't believe that God is there, if you don't believe that people have intrinsic value because they matter to God, therefore they matter to us, then, then why would they have any value to us? Why not just love those close to you who, who you benefit from loving? Why on earth would you do good for nothing? There is no advantage to that. That does not improve your ability to succeed in the world in any way. Do good for something. Do good, sure, but, but make sure that if you're scratching someone else's back, that they're going to scratch yours. It makes no sense to live this life that we're called to live. Human rights are a Christian myth. The prophet that I actually wanted to talk about today is the prophet Hosea. I've mentioned him a couple of times as, as we've been looking at the book of Jonah. And the reason that I've mentioned him is because Hosea was alive at the same time as Jonah. He's alive around 8th century BC. They, they probably at least knew of each other. But, but it's interesting. Uh, God doesn't ask Hosea to go anywhere and preach. He doesn't send him to a, a hard city full of pagans. Instead, what he does is, is he asks Hosea to make his life into a sermon which I think is probably harder. He, he asks Hosea, he calls him to, at the time, the Israelites, right? Jeroboam II, he's expanding the, the nation of Israel, but at the same time, he's corrupting the heart of Israel. They're, they're expanding militarily and they're, they're taking over other places, but, but he's bringing idol worship in and, and they're abandoning worshiping God for, for worshiping the, the Canaanite idols that uh, you know, they're intermarrying into. And it's just, it's just a mess, And so God comes to Hosea and he says, I want your life to be a picture of love towards someone who is not returning love. I want your life to be a picture of of my love for Israel as they're worshiping other gods, but I'm still for them. And and the way that God asks Hosea to do this is by mirroring God's love for the unfaithful nation of Israel by marrying a prostitute. Which I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very thankful for my call in life. Thank God was like, do you know what, Jono? It's not your lot in life. You don't have to marry a prostitute. You get to marry a lovely woman called Emma. I'm like, thank you, God. That's much easier, right? So here he is. Hosea marries a prostitute, and her name is, is Goma. And for a while, things go well. For a few years, they're, they're happy. They have a baby boy. Then they have a baby girl. Then they have another baby boy. They have this little happy family, and, and everything is going well. And, until one morning... Hosea wakes up, and I imagine he rolls over to say good morning to Goma, and, and she's not there next to him. Hosea's like, okay, that's weird. Maybe she's gotten up early in the morning. To, they got three kids. You know, anyone who's got kids know that kids do not respect time, uh, especially when you want to be sleeping. Maybe the kids are up early, and she's making them breakfast. Back then, they didn't have those sweet clocks that, like, change color from, from moon to, to sun, so I don't know how they would get their kids in bed because that's the only thing that works for me. Uh, and, and so, you know, there they are. He's like, oh, maybe, you know, Maybe she's making the kids, I don't know, pancakes or whatever the ancient Hebrew equivalent of pancakes is. Probably still just pancakes. I feel like that's a fairly elementary thing. And, and so he goes into, I don't know, I imagine like maybe the kitchen and she's not there. Oh, I'll go and he goes and checks the kids' room and there's the three kids, but, but she's not there. He's like, oh, maybe she's popped out to, I don't know, get something. And so the day goes on and, and it gets to evening and she's not there. And he puts the kids to bed and she's still, she's not, she's not there. And at some stage in the, in the day or in the middle of the night, he must have realized she's not, she's not coming back. And so here's Hosea, a single dad, right? Three kids, and to top it off, he's one of the most famous people in Israel. 
His life has been established as an example of God's love. Everyone is looking at his life as a prophetic message to the nation. Everyone is aware of what's happening. He's the one that's written about in the tabloids. He's the one who people are gossiping about at the town well. He's the one that everyone is aware of. And there he is. He's meant to be the bringer of hope for Israel. And he's alone and he's embarrassed and he's ashamed because his wife, who he bought out of poverty, out of a life of slavery, has left him. And I don't know how Hosea would have, would have felt. I don't know what would have happened to him after that. I'm sure that he felt hurt and, and abandoned and betrayed. I'm sure that looking at his kids made him miss her. The woman that he had built his life with, come to love, had just up and, and left him. And then it gets a little bit harder. Because maybe as he's adjusting to this new normal, as he's adjusting to this new life, God comes to him with a second message. God comes to him and says, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to find Gomer. Not only do I want you to go and I want you to find Goma, I want you to go find Goma and marry her again. Despite the fact that she has left you, despite the fact that she has abandoned you, despite the fact that you have every right to leave her in the life that she has chosen again, that you rescued her from once and she's gone back to, I want you to go and find her in that life, bring her out of it and marry her again. Which again, the book of Hosea is this big book of, of prophetic declarations and these little moments in it, and we can miss the narrative, but, but I wonder what would that have looked like? What would that have felt like? What would the reality of that been? If Goma had, was living a life as a prostitute before Hosea married her, then, then she goes back to where she was. Right? Hosea, one of the most respected men in the nation, goes back to the nation's underbelly, to the nastiest, dirtiest parts of town. And, and, and he has to start walking around, walking around the brothels, the red light district, looking for his wife. Maybe he starts walking up to people, people in the industry. And he's like, hey, have you seen Goma? Goma, the girl you married. Yeah. She left you. Yeah. I'm looking for her again. I want to let her know that if she wants to come home, home is welcome. No, I, I don't know where she is. I'm sorry. Maybe he keeps on walking around and he's, he's going to the brothels. He's, he's, you know, the owners probably start to recognize him. They probably know who he is. Night after night, he looks. I wonder if he had to ask any, any customers. Right, like, hey, have you seen Goma? Oh, um, yeah, not, not today, but she's around. I wonder what that would have felt like for him. The weight on his heart. And, and so eventually he... He walks into an auction house where they are selling people into the sex slavery business. They're already enslaved. They're just selling them from master to master. It is the worst place to be. And there she is. She's on the selling block. There is his wife, the mother of his children, someone that he rescued and came to love, and, and she's being sold as a slave. And, and Scripture tells us that he walks up to the seller and he says, that's my wife. And the response is, surely I don't care who you think she is, she's mine and she's for sale. If you want her, you have to pay the price. And the Bible tells us that, that Hosea pays, but he doesn't just pay a, a small sum. He, he gives what is essentially everything. He gives all the money he has and then all of the food that he has stored up to support his family to buy back Goma. I wonder how that would have felt for Goma. Right there she is. She probably can't even look at Hosea. She knows that. You know, there must be something deeply hurt within her that she would leave a situation in which she was loved and cherished but maybe couldn't receive that love to go back to a place in which she knew that she would lose her freedoms, that she would embrace an idol, something that, that initially maybe she thought, ah, oh, it will give me everything. And in, 
in the end, as idols do it, gave her nothing. And she sees this man come in who has already rescued her once, come back and give everything a second time to buy her back, a second time to free her. And then Hosea turns to her and he remarries her. He doesn't declare, hey, I've bought you and now you are my property. You need to come back and live with me. You are my servant. You are my slave. He remarries her. He elevates her back to the status that she was in before she had left. The status that he had already initially put her in and she had walked away from. And he says to her, no more running. Goma, you are mine. But he doesn't leave it at that. He says, and I am yours. I don't ask you just to commit to me. I give you who I am. See, I believe the moral of the story of Hosea is Hosea is a picture of God. Hosea is God's love for us and Gomer is me. Gomer is you. It's our tendency is to look for all the right things in all the wrong places. To introduce hurt and harm into our lives in a way that, that, that grieves God and yet God is the only one who can put right. See, and so at the end of this this series on loving our city, all I wanted to do was to remind you that we love from a place of love. That when we are called as Jonah was called, we're not called to to do something that has not first been given to us. But I wanted to remind you, I wanted to let you know for the first time, if you have not heard it, that God is looking for you. That God is searching for you. He will not stop looking for you. That God will look in all the wrong places to find you because you're worth it. And not only will He, He already has given everything. He's come in and He's paid the price to free us from the slavery that we put ourselves in. Now all that's left is whether we choose to step out of the slavery and into freedom or if we keep ourselves in slavery. Because what Hosea does not do is he does not drag her out of there. He buys her and she gets to willingly walk into freedom. See, I want to remind you that nothing that you've done, nothing that you will do, nothing that you can do can stop God from loving you. Usually we do this at the end of the the service, but I just feel like in this moment as I'm almost done, just his head's about, his eyes are closed. If you know right now as you're sitting in your seat, maybe your heart's beating in your chest that you need God. That we've been talking, you know, every service we've had a moment of response. But as I put it this way, of this, this intentional, willing entering into to slavery, into destruction, choosing things that do not sustain us, choosing things that, that introduce harm into our own life, you can finally see, man, there's some idols in my life that I'm clinging to rather than God. And today I need to let them go and receive salvation. Maybe this is a decision for the first time or maybe it's a recommitment. I believe that we cannot make this commitment too many times if we've embraced something else. It's always the right time to turn back to God, to say sorry and to choose to put Him in the right place. So friend, I wanna let you know as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, that that today is a day, the Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that today is the day of salvation. Salvation is the start of a beautiful journey. It's not the end. But if you're here and you know, man, I need to get right with God. I wanna, I wanna let him in. He's paid the price for me and I wanna receive what he's done. Just his head's about, his eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you here today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer to simply say, God, I'm sorry for making other things what only you can be today. I choose to turn back to you to embrace what you have for me, to leave slavery and step into freedom. So if that's you here today and you know that today is a day that you need to get right with God for the first time or as a recommitment, it doesn't matter. Is it's just you and God raising your hand to let yourself know this is a moment for me. This is not just words I'm saying, it's a decision I'm making. If that's you, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know? Three, 
two, one. If that's you, why don't you shoot your hand up nice and high? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Should we give it one more moment if that's you here today? Church, can you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today I choose you. I choose to leave all of the things that could be in your place to embrace you. I'm sorry for the things I've done, for the things I've made, what only you can be. Today, I choose to follow you. I accept your sacrifice. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as we round out the series, as we finish, we're, we're gonna finish with a, a song in a moment. But I believe we all sit here with a choice. Right? We all get to choose. Will we be Hosea or will we be Jonah? Will we run to the city? Will we run to the call? Will we run to who God has called us to love or will we run from it? Because ultimately, we need to be realistic. We're all Goma. We're all Nineveh. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. None of us can earn the love that God has freely given us. And yet we are recipients of it because at some stage, someone let us know. Someone told us that we are called. Someone told us that we are valued. Someone told us that there is a plan and a purpose. Someone told us that we are worth more than we could ever have imagined. Someone told us your freedom has been bought. You simply need to step out of slavery. Someone was kind enough, was bold enough, was loving enough to share that message with us. And the whole intent of, of who we are is that we don't just exist for us, but we exist for those who are not yet in this room. We have been brought home and now we have the opportunity to let others know that home is calling them. And we can be like Jonah. We can say it's too hard or the cost is too high. We can say it's too scary or too much. You know, Jonah, I would do heart week, but it's not a great time for me. It's a busy time of year. I just, I don't know where I can fit it. And all of those things might be fair enough and true. And I don't know what it looks like to fit it in, but I do know that love is too big a thing to say, I'm gonna wait to love. If the purpose of our life is anything other than letting others know that there is a God who loves them, anything other than establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, then friend, I wanna tell you that life will be disappointing that we fall short of partnering with God and what we are ultimately called for. I don't believe we're gonna look back at the end of our lives and go, man, it was a good thing that I didn't engage in loving my city because it would have been too much that week. But we have an opportunity to do what we can. Again, it doesn't have to be big. It can be the smallest thing, but done in faith, believing that God can do the miraculous through it. I guess I just wanted to ask church, would we go after Goma? Would we go to the city of Nineveh? Would we be a people who respond to the call to say, if not now, then when? If not me, then who? To go and to let them know that Hosea is looking for them. That Hosea is given everything. That freedom is available. I wonder if you would close your eyes for a moment. If you would think of your workmate. Maybe your workmate who crossed the office. You know what they were doing last night. Every weekend they get drunk just to feel some sort of lightness, some sort of reprieve from the monotony of life. Would you let them know? 
Maybe you think of your family member who's finding meaning in work or kids or, or some other good thing that ultimately cannot fill the space that they're asking it to fill, that they're asking it to be God and ultimately the weight of Godhood will crush that good thing. Or maybe it's a stranger that you passed on the street that just now their, their face is coming to your mind that, that means nothing to you, that you don't know from Adam, but who means everything to God. How can we let them know? His heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. We know that we live surrounded by Gomas, surrounded by people in slavery to sin and death, living unfulfilling lives. We know because we are Goma. But if we're honest with ourselves, we've been Jonah, holding back giving reasons why not, running away from call and purpose, not going to where they are, not going there in conversation, not asking that question, not offering that help because it costs too much. It took too much time, too much energy, too much emotion. Today on the eve of this heart week, I believe God is simply asking us, will you go for the city? Will you be my hands and feet? If not now, then when? If not you, then who? And I don't know what that looks like for you but I know that we're doing all that we can to place opportunities in front of you that can help us grow in our life. It's my dream that, that us as a people would be known for our love for the city. And so today we've got, we've got a few minutes left and I simply wanted to finish in worship. That as we sing these words, as we declare this anthem, there would be a moment in which you and God can speak, in which God can drop something on your heart, in which you could know that God is calling you in which maybe you need the courage to do something and you would find it. Maybe you just need to, oh God, this is what I need to do. This is the word. This is the prompting. This is the thing that I'm stepping out to do. That whatever it is that we would leave here knowing how we can put love into action. Church, will you stand to your feet? We're gonna sing the songs before we do. God, we stand here. We give you permission to move. God, we pray that you would meet us. God, we, I cannot, I do not want to convince us into loving because that convincing will not sustain the love that you call us to. God, I pray that you would meet with us now. God, where every heart is open, I pray that you would speak, God. Where every, where every mind is wondering, I pray that you would drop ideas, that we would be a people who choose to go, that we would be Hosea looking for Goma, that we would be Jonah and we would choose to go to Nineveh, that we would partner with you in your plans and purpose, that we would love the city, that we would see the city of Christ Church, that we would see Ototahi come to faith in Christ because we chose to partner with you to be your hands and to be your feet. In Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.